For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. A school voucher bill fails to get enough votes to pass the state Senate. The measure by President Pro Tem Greg Tree would have allocated more than $128 million worth of taxpayer money into private schools and educational services. The opposition came from Democrats and rural Republicans. Neva, are you surprised by this bill's failure? Well, what I am surprised is that it took till almost the the, uh, last day of this deadline week to get it up on the floor and to actually have a vote, which was extended into uh, the late night on Wednesday. Um, They left the vote open, trying to get uh, some votes to to move the direction to pass it. But ultimately, it failed 22 to 24. There were uh, two folks that were absent, and they needed 25 votes to get it done. So it's a significant uh, uh, event um, in this legislative season because it was the premier piece of legislation that uh, the pro tem wanted passed with his name on it. It was the hallmark centerpiece, really, of uh, Governor Stitt's state of the state uh, that he pressed hard on. He had been up uh, uh, personally lobbying and talking to members uh, uh, in the day in the days leading up to uh, to the vote. So I think uh, I think there was certainly a lot of drama, a lot of intrigue uh, and a lot of and a lot of questions around this. And as we know, on the House side, there was already tough sledding if they had got it out of the Senate because Speaker McCall said that they were that he was not inclined uh, to hear the bill uh, on the House side. And that really is a product of what happened last session when the kind of the understanding and agreement among many of the House members was that they would have the expansion of the Lindsay Nicole Henry scholarship and they would have the open transfer bill both passed and that they wouldn't be uh, having this discussion this session that they that it might be something on the board down the road but that they had made significant strides in school reform measures with those with those two pieces of legislation so we'll see what happens but it appears that this issue ESAs for for now, is dead. Ryan. Well, and I'll, I'll be careful to say dead because you know You're right. I should have. I instantly thought that when I when I said that, Ryan. <laughs> because you know, at, at the at the state capitol, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit like the Walking Dead. Sometimes you, you have these these zombie bills. And as we're taping this, and and you know, for you know, to give up a little bit of the radio magic here. Uh, we tape on Thursdays, yes. uh, and folks are listening to this on Friday. As we're taping, the Oklahoma State Senate is back in session. Uh, there is a possibility uh, that if uh, President Pro Temp Treat believes that he gets those votes uh, to get to that 25 threshold that Neva mentioned, they could bring this back up for a vote today and reconsider it. Now, that said, there is a hard deadline uh, that happens after they leave for this week uh, later later on Thursday. So, uh, at the point that folks are listening to this, we'll know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, things can even appear after that. But, you know, I think that um, today at five o'clock uh, or t- today, whenever they gavel out in the state Senate, we'll have a pretty good idea of whether or not this is if this is going to happen. I suspect that um, they were doing everything. I say they, the, the folks that were in support of this bill, uh, Pro Temp Treat and, and Governor Stitt. You know, and there is kind of a, an interesting, you know, kind of the, the back. Uh, story of that, 
you see this growing alliance between uh, Senator Treat and the governor. Um, and well, that that could potentially play itself out on a number of fronts uh, in and out of the legislature over the next several months. So, you know, kind of kind of keep an eye on that that growing alliance between Senator Treat and the governor. Um, but I, I really think that, you know, even if they brought back Senator Dom, that, you know, the two folks that were missing were Senator Dom, uh, Nathan Dom and Senator Kevin Matthews. Uh, Senator Matthews is almost certainly a no vote, uh, so that doesn't help him get to 25. Uh, Senator Dom voted yes on this in committee, but that only gets them uh, to 23, so it doesn't get them to you know uh, to 25. I know that they're you know in visiting with 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 members yesterday, including Republican members, uh, especially Republican members. I think that they would have rather not had to vote on this at all. Uh, I think you know, especially knowing that it faced such an uphill battle in the Senate or in the House, you know, if it if it even passed out of the Senate, that it was a very difficult vote uh, for the pro temp to impose on his caucus. And so, you know, I'm sure that he called in a lot of favors, uh, you know, just to you know let folks know, I need your support on this. I know it's going to be hard. Um, but like Neva said, there are a lot of conservative Republicans at the state capitol uh, that you know, felt that they already had school choice. You know, that we already we already have school choice in Oklahoma. And of course, the Democrats, you know, made you know incredibly important points about the fact that you know the millions of dollars that would go into this program would likely come out of rural schools. There were uh, you know chance that some of these would you know just entirely devastate, if not wipe off the map, some of these rural schools that are incredibly important uh, for the state of Oklahoma, and that that money would be a lost opportunity to do things as you know Senator Kerry Hicks was saying. Uh, the num I forget the exact number, but she she rattled off a a number of how many teachers we could employ, just at salaries that we could hire uh, with the money that would go into this Empowerment Act. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens throughout the throughout, throughout the rest of the day. But it is stunning uh, if this is if this is the last gasp of air uh, for this voucher bill. Uh, it is pretty stunning that two of the most powerful political figures in the state. Uh, have seen their chief policy priority stymied at the midpoint in the legislative session. This week is the deadline for bills to get out of their chamber of origin. This has resulted in several bills getting left behind and essentially dead for the session. I, I just wanted to, your thoughts on any measures that didn't make it through the process. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Well, I think, you know, one that was interesting that it got a lot of attention uh, whenever it was up in committee was, uh, and, and again, we're still taping, so this, you know, these things could pop up, pop up but uh, Representative John Pfeiffer had a bill that dealt with eliminating the ability of the partner pro board to hear claims of innocence. And you know, I think you know, several folks saw this as a response to the Julius Jones advocacy that had been happening. Um, but you know, that bill barely made it out of committee. It only made it out of committee whenever they brought in the pro temp to cast a tie-breaking vote. Uh, I think that there was a sense that that uh, would still be brought up on the floor, but it, it hasn't yet. So I think that, you know, that was one that I was surprised. You know, a couple of bills that did make it past deadline week that I, I think are worth note, you know, one over in the House uh, by Representative Nicole Miller, 30, House Bill 3316. Uh, that's a clean slate bill that reforms expungement process in the state of Oklahoma. Um, you know, an incredibly important piece of legislation and received overwhelming bipartisan support. And then over in the Senate earlier this week, Senate Bill 1646, not to be confused with six, 1647, the education voucher bill, uh, but 1646 is some, some very common sense criminal justice reform measures 
uh, that create consistency uh, or hope to create consistency among sentencing across a wide range of, of felonies. And you know, Senator Rader uh, did a wonderful job on the Senate floor yesterday in explaining that. And you really began to see kind of, you know, the divide, you know, the I think that there's this sense that criminal justice reform and the momentum around it has peaked, but that's certainly not the case. I think that you saw a strong bipartisan coalition pass this bill, even as the opponents were asking quite, you know, one of the one of the opponents of the measure even asked out loud, what's so wrong with being number three in incarceration in Oklahoma? And I think that 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 line of thinking, uh, you know, may have carried the day, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, but even if we don't see kind of the real bold sweeping criminal justice reform uh, measures in front of the legislature like we have in years past, it does demonstrate that there's still strong support for that issue. Neva. Well, I think overall, not a lot of surprises. I think um, it, it was interesting that yesterday, or I guess Wednesday uh, in the Senate, when all of this was going on on the ESA uh, bill, we also saw the Senate uh, on a vote, I think it was 45 to one, uh, pass the bill to remove the state sales tax on groceries. This was another bill that Senator uh, Treat was uh, uh, pushing and was the author of. And that will be interesting. There was only, I think there was an amendment on there that satisfied the municipal league. Uh, cities and counties were concerned that that they didn't want to have to pass additional ordinances uh, if this bill ultimately became law. So that was uh, an amendment to the, to the bill. Um, and even with the fiscal impact of somewhere around 300 million, it's suggested, I think Senator Treat says he thinks that would be less. It passed with no debate. So we'll see that move over to the House side. And clearly, I think there'll be a lot of uh, uh, a lot of interest in that bill. Certainly a lot of there's been a lot of public attention because it affects, you know, working Oklahomans uh, right there at their pocketbook. So um, in terms of the bigger takeaway, I think all of the intrigue and horse trading and and all of the uh, the negotiating that goes on with these big bills uh, does have implications that roll over now into the budget negotiating process, mm -hmm. which will be ramping up. And I think uh, for, as Ryan said, I mean, when you have this alliance that appears to be uh, much stronger than perhaps previous sessions with the pro tem and the governor, um, that will that will play into the negotiating, no doubt, uh, on some of the um, uh, uh, on some of the budget items. So it'll be uh, it'll be a fast track from here to the end of session. But uh, we've now passed a major point this week with the bill deadlines getting out of the uh, House of House of Origin. A former teacher of the year is joining the race for state superintendent. Gina Nelson, an English composition and academic enhancement teacher at Deer Creek Middle School, becomes the first and so far only Democratic candidate to run for the position. Three Republicans are already planning to run. Ryan, will Nelson be the only Democrat fi by filing time next month? I mean, we'll see. I mean, there, uh, you know, we, we still have a little bit of time to go. But if you're if you're going to run a serious campaign, you know, you've you've got to get your name out there now. You've got to start raising money. And and you know what we saw here wasn't a you know a, a filing with uh, for candidacy. This is the filing with the ethics right. commission to say we're going to get out and, and start raising this money um, and and be competitive in this race. And I, I do think that it was unlikely that. There, you know, I think there have been talk that we would see this uh, this position resolved in a Republican primary. Um, I don't think that uh, you know most folks ever thought that, that was entirely going to be the case. Um, and I I think that it's um, especially if if Secretary Ryan Walters uh, makes it out of the primary, 
Um, you know, I think that that's going to be a real, you know, with with his you know, unequivocal support for Senate Bill 1646, with his, uh, you know, being tied, you know, I'll, and I'll just, you know, back up from this race for a second, just to say, it is interesting that I don't know that I've ever seen statewide officers, uh, the Attorney General, uh, and now Ryan Walters running for the Secretary uh, for the State Superintendent spot, uh, so um, blatantly and obviously connect themselves to the governor running for re-election. Uh, it, it does seem like a ticket, uh, and you know that we've never really seen before. Even even whenever you've had governors uh, and statewide office seekers or incumbents running on that ticket that may in- agree with each other, endorse each other, um, you don't really see this the kind of cooperation uh, that we see right now. So. Uh, Walking into the general election, I think that this is a competitive race, uh, and I think education is one of those things. And we saw uh, on that sixteen forty-seven vote uh, that the, the vouchers bill that came up yesterday in this or earlier this week in the Senate, um, there was crossover. You had uh, especially rural Republicans were crossing over with Democrats to vote against this measure, and I think that that's representative of the electorate as well. Um, so I think that uh, you know getting out into this general election, if Again, if Secretary Walters is the the nominee, uh, I think that he's going to have a much harder time against a Democrat that may be able to peel off uh, rural Republican votes on these education issues. Neva, well, it is a fascinating race the way it shapes up, and you're and you're right, Ryan. I mean, in terms of the um, the the makeup of this primary for Republicans. I mean, you have Ryan Walters, Secretary of Education, aligned with the governor. You have April Grace, superintendent of the Shawnee Public Schools. And then you have John Cox, who uh, is the PEGS public school superintendent. Uh, He's someone that uh, some people remember because he ran as a Democrat in both 2014 and 2018 and then switched to Republican. So we've got these these switches, uh, party switches that are factoring into the equation this year. And it's interesting because if you look at the makeup of this race, there's no breakout um, sure winner. I mean, it's going to be a competitive primary. um, And you would have to believe that both April Grace and John Cox, I mean, would ultimately, if there were a runoff, would be more aligned together versus uh, Ryan Walters. I think the question now is, uh, and some people handicapping this in Republican circles, uh, you hear to the two camps that Walters has a distinct advantage. And you also have um, a significant uh, camp among Republican activists that are now saying that April Grace is picking up a lot of traction mm-hmm. statewide and is becoming a very popular candidate uh, in Republican in Republican primary voting circles. So um, the, the big question always comes, who can raise some money, uh, who can get on TV? who can get their message out in a broad way to the several hundred thousand Republicans, ultimately, that will go to the polls June 28th and decide this, or at least move it to a to, to the next uh, level and a runoff. So uh, on, the, on the Democrat side, quite frankly, I mean, that profile, uh, it looks like someone that, uh, that Democrats would go and recruit a candidate that has, has the makeup of uh, someone that's a former Oklahoma Teacher of the Year, mm-hmm. someone from Metropolitan um, 
Oklahoma City area in the Deer Creek um, Middle School where she teaches. So uh, we'll see if there's a lot of uh, support and, and kind of unified support behind her candidacy, or will there be this uh, opportunity for another late entry? Because we still have till uh, April 15th mm -hmm. to, to um, put kind of a, put the final dot on the uh, list of uh, official candidates for 2022. Well, and, and the Oklahoman reports that April Grace, uh, to your point, Eva, about raising money, that April Grace has, uh, I think, raised 192000 with 151000 on hand. And that puts her ahead of fundraising for uh, Oklahoma Education Secretary uh, Ryan Walters, uh, which is, is, you know, that that's a really strong performance there. Um, and, and again, you're right. It's if, if I were running for uh, state superintendent, I, I sure wouldn't want to run against a, uh, a teacher of the year. Uh, you know, somebody that's a, a class has, you know, classroom instruction uh, experience immediately ready to, to plug in that perspective at that important position. And, you know, I, I think Democrats statewide face a distinct disadvantage uh, electorally in Oklahoma. I, I think that that's, you know, you know, to state the obvious. But I do think in these issues where uh, or on these in these races where you have um, for a state superintendent where the, the issues can become much more uh, you know narrowly focused on things like education this is a winnable race and you know you know Democrats aren't just getting into this thinking oh we're going to put somebody up as a, a sacrificial candidate just so we've got somebody I think these are this a race like this is a winnable race for for a Democrat statewide in Oklahoma. It, it, I think it's a heavy lift, though. I mean, realistically, yeah. when you look at November, you look at uh, two U.S. Senate races uh, on, on the uh, ballot, or at least that at this point, we assume that's still to be the case. I mean, we may know more next week in terms of what the Supreme Court uh, rules. But in, in, in the case of elections, the national backdrop and what is going on in Washington certainly is going to greatly color, I think, voters in Oklahoma. And it's going to make for a very strong Republican year and a Republican tide that, you know, already most analysts are, are beginning to say could be a, a very a very wide sweep across the country in terms of picking up potentially Republicans picking up the House and the and the Senate uh, in Washington and certainly having significant gains all across the country. In Oklahoma, I think it's going to be a real challenge for Democrats to break through all of that, uh, starting at the top of the ticket, going all the way down ballot and see some real results. I think that some of that will depend on because I I, I I, I tend to agree with, but with the exception that we're going to have some unique dynamics in Oklahoma, you know, assuming that Governor Stitt makes it out of, out of his, out of a primary, um, you know, even as there are folks, as there are organizations that have pledged millions of dollars to try to defeat him in a primary. Uh, and if you have tribal uh, political interests that are spending, uh, you know, millions of dollars uh, against Governor Stitt in the general election, and for uh, the benefit of Joy Hoffmeister, uh, the presumed, you know, I think who's the presumptive Democratic nominee for governor at this point, um, I think that that could upset, uh, you know, some of these dynamics and, and could give Oklahoma voters who, you know, may be inclined to walk in and cast a straight party Republican ticket, um, you know, a little bit more pause to say, well, wait a second, I want to, I want to go Democrat here and Republican here and Democrat there, and so I, depending on how much money is spent and how um, targeted that money is against Governor Stitt, uh, you know, we may see uh, some some ticket splitting that we haven't seen in years past. 
Speaking of that, Governor Sid is finding himself under attack from his own party in his election bid. A new television ad from the conservative Voice of America criticizes the governor for his commutation of Lawrence Anderson. According to the commercial, Anderson went on to kill three people after he was released from prison. Neva, should Stitt be concerned about attacks from the left and right as he heads into November? Well, I think any candidate is always uh, cognizant of strong (laughs) negative campaigns and advertising coming at them, certainly at the volume that is taking place right now against the governor. I mean, we're talking four or five uh, groups that have uh, uh, put down money uh, for uh, ads, direct mail, uh, a variety of ways to communicate with voters, pounding on him on some of these issues, just like this this one particular uh, commutation. And I think that uh, when you start spending millions, not just thousands, but millions and maybe tens of millions, ultimately over the course of a campaign, uh, it does, uh, the question is how much impact will it have? Clearly there are some counters to that. We've seen some positive ads come up uh, from a group that is uh, in support of the governor, uh, pr- promoting his record and his successes and their view. So it's uh, it will be interesting to see how the voters uh, react to this long term. There certainly gets to be, uh, we all talk about voter fatigue, but I think that in this instance, so uh, we're seeing a very early ramp up of, of this type of advertising to really lay a case out. Many of these uh, groups saying just that they want to hold the governor and their words accountable for his record. And we'll see um, as we begin to see, frankly, after the filing ends mm-hmm. and we see what the field is set, uh, it will be interesting to see how the polls look. And we'll start to, I'm sure, see some of those emerge and it will uh, give us some indication as to um, the strength of um, the strength of the governor's numbers, which to this point have been have been strong. So um, but, you know, when you start getting pounded there, the off the often uh, used saying in politics is you have nowhere to go but down. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I think this is going to be a fascinating race as it continues to unfold. Ryan. Well, I think one of the one of the real issues here is the, the collateral damage this uh, this ad campaign may have to the criminal justice reform movement in, in Oklahoma. Um, you know, the you know, the things that I think the, the governor is being attacked on aren't necessarily the issues that uh, the, the people that are putting the money down uh, to run these ads. You know, criminal justice reform may not be the thing that they're concerned about uh, at all. Uh, but they, you know, they've polled and they see that, of course, you know, scaring voters on on the issue of, of crime is, you know, uh, tried and true. Uh, and you know, it got Nixon elected twice, and and uh, it's you know, people have been doing it ever since. And so, it's uh, I think a, one of the one of the real challenges uh, I think coming out of all of this is. How long uh, and and um, how collateral the damage will be on things that have you know nothing to do with Governor Stitt, um, and is it going to really slow down progress or the the willingness of lawmakers to begin to talk about criminal justice issues uh, in a in a you know you know smart thoughtful evidence based way at the state capitol? Obviously, you know these ads have been running, and in the last. A uh, week or so, we've seen some you know, really strong criminal justice reform measures still move with bipartisan support through the legislature. Um, but you know, I, I do, I do hope that you know, however, folks, you know, uh, you know, if you look at all of the fights that the governor has picked over his first term, I mean, he's 
he's he really hasn't missed an opportunity to pick a fight with somebody. And, and many of these these interests that he's picked fights with uh, are incredibly powerful uh, and have not just money, but their own constituencies that they can organize against him. Uh, and, and particularly in a, in a Republican primary. Um, so we'll see we'll see how all that shakes out. I'm, I'm more concerned right now about, again, the, the fallout that these ad campaigns may have on, on the general tone of criminal justice reform, because as we see the you know the, the claims that are made in these these ads, um, you know they don't have really anything to do with the, the types of reforms that we uh, have you know seen bipartisan support for in Oklahoma. But again, if this is something that, that Oklahoma voters begin to associate with uh, with Stitt and it becomes negative, uh, we're going to have some work to do with lawmakers to let them know there's still support for reform in Oklahoma, uh, even even though these these ads may you know, seem to suggest otherwise. Senator James Lankford says he won't debate his challenger for the Republican primary in his bid for re-election. Lankford is calling Tulsa Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer's call for debate a sideshow. Neva, you are general consultant in Senator Lankford's campaign. So why is he refusing to debate Lawmeyer? Well, I think the senator has been very clear. Uh, he has... First of all, he has said from day one that he doesn't run against people, that he runs for something. And he's he's done this since the very beginning. He treats his campaign uh, like a job interview, and he takes that job. He takes uh, himself across 77 counties and talks directly uh, to Oklahomans and says, here's who I am. Here's what I believe. Uh, here's what I'm trying to accomplish and you make your decision uh who do you want to send send back to uh the united states uh, senate for another uh for the next term and i think the other point of this is that uh, uh the senator has made made the the point that his opponent uh is uh, doing something very similar to what former south carolina governor and congressman mark sanford did mm -hmm. when he as a republican ran against uh uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, he carried a cardboard cutout around. Uh, he he had his own mock debates, but he was someone that was very low in polling, not getting not getting much attention, and used these mock debates as as an attempt to try to um, uh, get some get some attention and get some traction. So um, I think this is a campaign that the voters are paying attention to. There is ample opportunity across the state for. Uh, voters and particularly Republican voters right now in the primary to engage uh, with Senator Langford and hear his views, answer questions they have. And we'll see how this uh, campaign progresses. But June 28th, uh, I think right now we will uh, likely, it appears it will be a, a, a two-person primary and that uh, that nominee will be decided and move on to November. Ryan. You know, I, if I were uh, in, in Neva's shoes and, it, uh, and if I were in Senator Langford's shoes, I, I would do the exact same thing. Uh, you know, why, why, why subject yourself to a debate where you know that your opponent is going to go full Michael Flynn, uh, you know, full Roger Stone? And that's kind of a zero sum proposition. If you're, if you're a Republican incumbent uh, running for reelection right now, um, I don't care whether you're running at, at the state level or the federal level. Uh, most uh, conservative Republicans that haven't gone just you know full uh, Trump, you know they haven't just you know totally uh, you know pledged undying fealty to to Trump uh, and everything that he ever says and does, they face this really difficult situation of having to get up on a stage and navigate 
the Republican primary uh, electorate, which is, you know, in many instances, closer to uh, Donald Trump uh, and Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, and, and maybe even the positions of, uh, of uh, uh, Lamer, who's, who's running, uh, and I always, always mispronounce his name, my, my apologies to Lawmire. If, if, he, if he wins the United States Senate race, I promise I'll, I'll learn how to pronounce his name. <laughs> um, but when, uh, when all of this, when all of this is, you know, you're facing this on a debate stage, you know, the only thing that could happen to Senator Langford in that situation is something he says something uh, that sounds reasonable to uh, to maybe a general election electorate um, and maybe you know, is his real belief, but ends up you know being used against him in that primary. Um, now, that being said, my my position is these races and these campaigns deserve a debate. Um, you know, I, I said the same thing for Mayor Holt, Mayor Holt. Uh, you know, didn't want to give a platform to his extreme opposition. I think that Senator Langford said that he doesn't want to give a platform to his extreme opposition. But I do think that you, whether you consider them extreme or not, this is the, the current state of the Republican Party. Um, and these are dialogues and debates that need to take place. And, you know, maybe if you're within you know, very close-knit Republican circles, you already know all of these things. But I think most Oklahomans don't. And I think it's you know, if we're in a two-party system, Oklahomans deserve to know what are the internal conversations that are happening within these Republican circles, within the Republican primary. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.